Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, April 20th. A bit of a disclaimer before we begin today's show. Now, the biggest storyline in tennis today is the confirmation of Wimbledon's decision to ban both Russian and Belarusian players from the 2022 Wimbledon event. This decision comes amidst the Russian regime's unprovoked aggression towards Ukraine, the Belarus government's support of the Russian regime throughout their efforts. It's a decision with implications far beyond the tennis world, and I believe that's the reason we've seen this story not only transcend tennis media, but break through the mainstream media conscious as well. We've seen a story about Wimbledon's decision on the front page of ESPN.com earlier today. It would not shock me at all to see programs like CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, of course, ESPN Sports Center all discuss the implications of Wimbledon's choice, as Wimbledon is one of the premier sporting events, not just on the tennis calendar, but on the global sporting calendar as well. The prestige, the tradition, Wimbledon means something for them to make this decision. The gravity of that choice, it's something that is going to be uh, continue to be discussed over the coming weeks. And certainly we've already seen a strong reaction in the tennis community, whether it be from Ukrainian players who want to offer a pathway to Russian players, Belarusian players to playing, but demand that they, you know, denounce the regime of their home government that is supporting this aggression towards the Ukrainian home country. And of course, you can understand the sentiments behind the Ukrainian players' want and desire for those statements to be made. Of course, I think all of us are also well aware of the danger that would put the families of these Russian players, these Belarusian players who are back in their home countries at the be, uh, at the will, you know, beholden to these governments. It's an impossible choice. It is one certainly, again, that has transcended just the tenets world. It's something that's being discussed more broadly as well, and it's something that is going to be a focus moving forward as well as we see the response from players, those who don't believe that, you know, Tennis, uh, tennis organizations, whether it be you know country federations, whether it be the ATP, the WTA, don't believe they're moral authorities. Don't believe they should be the arbiters of what's right, what's wrong. If you're, you know, why are we drawing the line at Russian aggression back in 2003 when you know the the U.S. invaded Iraq? Or you want to point to all of these different human rights violations that happen in countless countries across the globe, the United States included. Again. Where do we draw the line in this decision? What response will we see from players? Will there be organization? Obviously, the idea of a boycott was thrown out right away. Uh, that takes a lot of organization. That takes a lot of clarity on behalf of you know hundreds of players with different origins, different thought process, different political beliefs across the globe. I mean, again, this is a story with far and wide-reaching implications and something we want to discuss here at Crack Rackets in depth as we try to keep you the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. As such, it's not a topic I felt comfortable addressing on my own. And I will also mention our Crack Rackets team. I had the opportunity to travel to Cincinnati, Ohio earlier today to Tennis Point USA HQ uh, to get the chance to hang out with our friends at Tennis Point who, of course, support this show day in, day out, make it possible for us to uh, 
provide you with all the information we know you deserve as tennis fans. And while there was when this story broke, as such, I didn't have the time to coordinate with our usual slate of guests to try to bring someone on more educated than me to talk about this topic. But as such, again, I want to give myself more time to process everything, both the reaction from players as well as the actual information from Wimbledon, the circumstances, the conditions, etc. of this ban. Uh, I want the opportunity to do that, to be more informed before I speak about things. Of course, I also want the opportunity to look through all of today's action. As I, you know, while this storyline is the the biggest storyline, we've got, you know, major 500 level events or higher happening for the women in Strasbourg or for the men in Barcelona. We've also got Istanbul and Belgrade on our hands, home stretch of the college tennis season. So much action to cover. And we actually did talk about a lot of those things with our buddy at Tennis Point, Nate Rawrith, earlier today, a podcast you'll be able to hear tomorrow on this feed. But that is what I wanted to get to here in our quick disclaimer. Tomorrow, we are going to fully address all things related to this Wimbledon decision, the banning of Russian and Belarusian players at the 2022 event on this mini break podcast feed. Not only are we going to talk about the tennis that's unfolding this week with Nate Walrath once, we'll also talk about the tennis that's unfolding a second time. As again, there is so much action happening at the ATP and WTA level this week. That said, We've got a fantastic podcast for all of you listeners today, and maybe just the dose of laughter, the dose of comic relief, and just you know enjoyment, the the escape you all need uh, to have some fun and remember why you think so fondly about this sport, tennis that we all love so dearly. And you know who always is going to put you in a good mood? The guest we have on today's show. It's Tennis Channel Steve Weissman joining me on the podcast to discuss a smorgasbord of different topics. Yeah, of course we had to do a little Passover talk at the top as it is Pesach right now for all of those of us who uh, observe. But we also wanted to discuss the top five destinations uh, for play. You know, Steve had the opportunity to go to Charleston. They just renovated the entire place. I wanted to ask Steve, where are the places he would recommend fans attend just from an environment standpoint, from, uh, again, the food available, just the access you have to the courts. Wanted to, you know, it's always fun to make top five rankings. So we have that discussion. We tried to talk about Carlos Alcaraz. It turns into an argument. It's very, very fun. I think all of you are going to enjoy. We talk about Steve's favorite college tennis team, the USC women, who had a fantastic weekend at a match he was at, 4-3 win over UCLA, and so much more. It really was a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Get a few laughs out of. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, the support we get from our Patreon family, and of course, excuse me, the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, this intro has been long enough, so let's get to it. Here is a smorgasbord of topics with my friend, the one and only Steve Weissman. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion to our Crack Racket shows, a man you know best for passing Scott Van Pelt in the ESPN hallways, a man whose cooking cannot possibly taste as good as his Instagram makes it out to look. Oh yeah, he's also the host of TC Live. It's our friend Steve Weissman. Steve, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great, Alex. Thank you for having me back. Returning champion, I appreciate that. I did not know that this was a competition, but I appreciate you um, saying I'm the winner. So I'm back for more. Steve, we were raised by Jewish mothers. Everything's a competition. Come on. I mean, happy, happy Passover. Of I course. Would say, I would say nothing is a competition <laughs> when it comes to that. Oh, you had the uh, wrong. Yeah, at that's. Least, at least how. How I was raised. Yeah, that's definitely no competition. That's reform Judaism. Let me tell you, in conservative Judaism, things are taken. We were conservative. Next. We were conservative. <laughs> there was definitely no competition at all. I don't know. My parents are just the best. So, yeah, that's and, you know. very fair. Um, but of course, that's, yes. I guess that, that, that solves that. Yeah, it is great to speak with you during Pesach. And yes, are we going to get a matzah meal edition of some sort of dessert from you? Uh, no, you're not. Um, I actually had a great birthday dinner last night um, and probably went against all those things. So, uh, but, but it was delicious and, uh, and amazing. So no, you will not. But uh, my mom, I know my, my, my brother and his family went home and or went back to my parents' house. I was working, so I couldn't, couldn't be there, but made the best matzo ball soup around and kugel and and all that good stuff. So. True, true story. I think I was nine years old, and my dad had a chicken tender during Passover. And when you're younger, you know, your parents take religion, I think, more seriously than when you're a little bit older. Um, and I was like, wait, you can't have breaded chicken? And he was like, Alex, I promise you, in the original Passover, chicken tenders were not a thing. And I was like, okay, that's that's fair. There's probably no chicken tender-specific rule uh, as it relates to Passover. Yeah, I, I mean, again, all of those things in the background, it is excellent to have the chance to speak with you. And uh, obviously, I feel like I've seen quite a bit of you in my life of late as you guys have been cranking on TC Live. And there's been a ton of fun action, uh, obviously, unfolding across the men's and women's game. How are you again? What talk to me about the whirlwind? What it was like to have the sunshine swing back in action, back to back again? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Just, I mean, I love Indian Wells. I love the desert. Uh, that tournament is one of my favorites to go to, to cover, talk about food. I mean, I think I went to Nobu at least twice. Um, <laughs> I was bummed because Alex, they, they don't have a spot. They the Spago is not there anymore. It was replaced by some Italian restaurant. Um, and I was really looking forward to hanging with Wolfgang again, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that, you don't that call him happen, Mr. Puck. So. No, he's, he's, uh, he's Wolfgang to me, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I didn't have the Wiener schnitzel. So that, that was a bummer, but that it just was, you know, more, more Nobu for me, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. My, my daily routine, you know, coming in, getting my omelet, getting my iced mocha, doing TC Live, then going back for my acai bowl, then, you know, doing all the interviews and then coming back for sushi. They they, they treat us so well there. Um, that tournament is fantastic. And then I came back uh, to L.A. to do Miami. We did TC Live from L.A. Uh, some of the comment commentators were on site. Um, and that was, you know, it, it was great. And then, like, literally right from Miami to Charleston, which is another tournament that is just near and dear to my heart. Um, they take Southern hospitality to the next level. You know, Ben Navarro, Bob Moran, Eleanor Adams, they are the amazing trio that, you know, owns and runs that tournament. And uh, I, I love it. It's, it's a little more chill because it's just a women's event. And um, that new stadium, Credit One Stadium's marvelous, fantastic, beautiful. Um, the players love it there, and uh, and then back here to do 
Monte Carlo in the start of uh, the European red clay season. And then, uh, you know, it's just like it never stops. But that's that's what we love about tennis. It's January to November. Uh, every week, there's fresh stories. There's new winners. There's um, new tournaments. And it's awesome. So, you know, just grateful to be a part of it. Well, I'm glad you bring up Charleston, Steve, because we are Mishbucha, and I do have a gripe for you about something you did in Charleston that I was a bit, I don't want to say perturbed by because it was an excellent interview, but, you know, you have my number. I know that for a fact. We are corresponding right now via phone. I don't get a text before the Emma Navarro interview. I have to wait for the replay on Twitter. It's not like, hey... She's lost two college matches. That's your thing, Alex. She's coming up in the studio. You don't even give me the heads up text. I don't text you before any of my interviews. So I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think that's even relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And it, by the way, if you were watching the coverage, you should have known that her match ended, so she was coming to the desk. Yeah, that's true. I was, you know, I was on TC Plus. I won't lie, and so I think it's just at that point the link ends. Um, but to your credit, you're right. I'll take the error on that one. But to be in Charleston, I was so jealous because they just renovated everything. Talk to me about it. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, they, they, they've taken everything to the next level. That stadium seats 11,000 now. They've got this beautiful player lounge. Um, they've got, you know, extra suites that are next level. They've got um, every, everything in there. The, the, even, like, the way that the seats are covered or, or the colors of the seats are a specific way for a reason. Um, our, our booth where we call matches is amazing. Uh, our green room was fantastic. Um, and, and they're going to even do even better stuff in the years to come. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I can't say enough about the folks that run that event and the way that they treat us. And I think that's a big thing as well. It's not just the facilities, but it's, it's the human touch, the, the, the personal, um, flavor that they add to it that, uh, really sets them apart. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, I, told you beforehand I wanted to do some sort of list with you so we could get into a nice spirited back and forth watching from afar I think Charleston might be on my short list of destinations I would want to attend as a tennis fan and you know I would sneak in some college venues on there as well but let's focus on the pros specifically I know you've had the chance to go to a lot of cool places and attend some slams as well is Charleston in that sort of category? Obviously, it has the city of Charleston, which on its own is independently beautiful, but it does look like with the renovations, it does look like with the intimacy of it being a 250 event that you kind of get the combination of the best bang from your bu- for your buck and then some phenomenal amenities. Well, it's a 500, so it's actually even better. So yeah. you've, you've got even even more players. I mean, half of the top 10 usually goes there. And so, um, yes, of the of the tournaments that I have personally covered on site, it's in my top five. And I would say it's probably in my top three. So, Ooh. you know, I, I would put Indian Wells and Charleston as the two non-majors mm-hmm. that you have to go to. I mean, my parents actually came to Charleston this year. Uh, they hadn't been to the city before. They hadn't been to the tournament. They loved it. The you know the food in the city is amazing, and then the tournament and how it's run. I mean, it's just it's a beautiful venue, and uh, and the people are are spectacular. So Charleston's in there for me. Indian Wells is there in there for me because of the desert. And once again, it's, it's the, the scenery is, is amazing. The tennis that you get to see is the best in the world. The food is, um, on another level. 
And then for me, I, I would put, you know, Roland Garros is my favorite major. Um, Paris is arguably my favorite city in the world uh, outside of where I live. So it's just so charming. Um, I love I love the tournament. I love everything about it. I love the food. Um, and I just like being in Paris. I mean, it's it puts me in a happy place. Um, I think if you're a tennis fan, you got to go to the U.S. Open as well. That would be in there. Um, Arthur Ashe Stadium, there's nothing like a night match there. That electricity, that energy is unmatched. I mean, you've got 20,000-plus people going nuts at 1 in the morning. That's just something that is unique and special uh, in the tennis landscape, and so you've got to do it. And then if you're a tennis fan, Wimbledon is the cathedral. You know, uh, Center Court is the most intimate center court on the planet um out of the eight thousand seats or whatever it is every seat is spectacular the grass is, evokes all the memories of growing up and seeing it on tv and just you know the pomp and circumstance of of having that type of event and so it, you know strawberries and cream you if you're a tennis fan like that's something you have to do so th those would be my five of the ones i've been to you know i can't speak to any event that i haven't you know, covered. I'm sure there's like people say Rome is amazing, Madrid. Um, I've played at Monte Carlo. I just haven't been there for the the tournament. That that club is insane. So I'm sure the event is <laughs> is amazing to go to. Uh, I'm sure Barcelona's uh, incredible. Melbourne is many people's favorite major. I just hopefully one day we'll get to go there. Um, so you know that once I do, I can uh, update the list. But you know, for the events that I've been able to cover on site. You know, for me, it's it's Indian Wells, Charleston, Roland Garros, uh, U.S. Open, and Wimbledon. No, I, I think that I understand the reasoning behind your lists, and we can get into this top five now. My qualm with New York is the bang for your buck. Obviously, it's an expensive ticket. Everything's a little bit pricier. I also think the the primetime session, the night matches, I think if you're going to go to that nighttime session, the match to go to, as you alluded to, is the second match, is the match that has the prospect of going till 1 a.m., till 2 a.m., because that is the crowd that gets very loose, gets very rowdy, and is engaged with the match, because hell, they're still there, might as well engage with the match. I feel like that first primetime crowd is, it's a little ritzy. Like, it's a little, you know, again, it's a lot of famous people, a lot of wealthy people in New York taking this opportunity to go see some great athletes. I feel like if I'm a casual fan, New York is maybe not the major I go to. I feel like it's the French Open where everyone is rowdy and everyone's engaged. Yeah, I mean, it depends. It, it also, like, if you have the funds to to fly to Paris, then, sure. then you probably Fair. have the funds to, to get a nice seat in New yeah. York. Or so, you don't know how our Amsterdam listeners, we have a big base there. So I'm talking to them specifically. Okay. Yeah. No, if, in, if you're in Europe, that's a totally different <laughs> yeah. situation than if you're, if you're here. Fair. Uh, I'm also coming at it from a place where, you know, I, I'm my media access, not necessarily as, as a fan. I, I did sure. go to the U S open as a fan. I never went to Wimbledon or the French open as a fan because I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't travel like that. So, um, you know, my my main experience growing up was at the time the Leg Mason Tennis Classic, which I loved. And by the way, the City Open's amazing, and and I would I would strongly encourage anyone on the East Coast or anywhere really to go to the City Open. It's fantastic. Um, but you know, I, I think that night ticket is for two matches, so you're getting both. It's not like I, I wouldn't buy the night ticket and then just sure. go to the second match. You're wasting your money. Um, I would also encourage you to get a day pass because that's where you 
get the the most bang for your buck because you get to go to all these courts. You can sit front row and wa- and watch you know top ten players somewhere. So um, it's really just that night session as the tournament goes on. So not first round matches in my opinion, but like fourth round matches at night when you've got a spectacular match and it's sold out and it's under the lights. That is a unique experience that if you are a tennis fan, I would, you know, very much encourage you to do because you won't get that at any other tournament in the world. Yeah. Uh, All of those fair. And again, travel expenses, to your point, are so dependent on where you are. My top five destinations list is based primarily on the crowds I would like to be a part of at some point, whether it's as a fan, as a media member, just to experience that group and the energy and, uh, you know, again, the, you know, the vibrations you feel in the, in the stadium when these night matches are being played. I feel like the Rio crowd in Brazil, whether, you know, during the South American swing, that 500 crowd or any of the events in Mexico, if you watched the WTA finals last year, boy, was the crowd electric. I went Rio over any of the, you know, whether it be Acapulco, any of the locations in Mexico. I feel like, again, that crowd is engaged in a way that, with all due respect, as beautiful as Charleston may be, you just don't get that sort of electricity out of the fans. Yeah, I, you, no, you're absolutely right. And I haven't been to Rio. I would love to go to Acapulco. I hear yeah. nothing but wonderful things about that and the energy. And you, you can sense it when you're calling a match, you know, obviously calling it remotely, but you can you can hear it. You can feel it. Rio, for sure. Um, so, yeah, th- those crowds are amazing. Obviously, when Roger went there with Zverev and played in front of 50,000 people, yeah. right? I mean, that's insane. So, yes, put that on the bucket list. I think those would be amazing. Um, hopefully one day, you know, I'll, I'll be able to, to go check that out in person. But yeah, those, that's a great point that those South American crowds are really, really engaged and, and electric as well. I'm penciling that into your future intro, Steve Weissman, our crack rackets, Rio correspondent. So we'll get you yes, from the crowd there. Yeah. We'll, we'll, you know what? <laughs> I would say we'd expense that trip, but the answers were not. So I'm sorry. Uh, get, I could get Dalton on it. Come yeah. On. ASAP. Look, I've, I've seen what he's doing. Um, Yeah. That So with that perspective in mind, I have one Grand Slam on my list, and you sort of alluded to it. I think it is the French Open crowd. They're, I'm going to swear, they're f- nuts. <laughs> you think, I don't think more so than New York. I, oh. I, 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 would, I would disagree there. I, I think the New York crowd is more quote-unquote nuts than the Roland Garros crowd. Uh, the, the French crowd is great, but they're, they're – I mean, you get those folks in New York that are, uh, you know, a little toasty and they're in the suites and they're just putting back those Grey Goose honey deuces, which <laughs> is definitely the best drink of any tennis event in the world. Uh, arguably sporting event in the world, like specific drink for a sporting event, Grey Goose honey deuce. Yeah, that's number one for me. Um, and, you know, they're shouting when they're not supposed to and they're just loud and, and you hear them during every point. There's a buzz, both literal and figuratively. And I don't hear that in Paris. I disagree with you. I think you're right in the sense that the ceiling of a New York crowd, if you get a late night Delpo match with the Argentinians in New York really going, ugh. I re- he played team, what was that, yeah. 2018? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something On like Grandstand. that. Yeah, and yep. it was 
just electric and it was special. And that is, again, as high of an upside as you're going to find. But I just think the French crowd is more engaged in the tennis in a way that sometimes the U.S. Open crowd is not. Again, it's it's a very arbitrary sense. I won't know until I attend any of these events. Uh, you have been there, so I'll, I guess I'll defer to you on this one. You are the returning champion for a reason, but I would yeah. Paris undefeated. By the yeah. way, yeah, <laughs> Wimbledon's just too cl- yeah undefeated. Wimbledon just too classy to be in the rowdy conversation. It's a complete to your point. It's like going to to Temple, going to church. Like that's Wimbledon as a tennis fan. You're well, absolutely I would, I would right. Say, I'd say it's like going to the Masters, going yeah. to Augusta. I mean, it's amazing and you've got to do it. If you're a golf fan and you can get that ticket, you have to go. And if you're a tennis fan and you can get into Wimbledon, it's you just have to do it. Um you have to have this you have to have the strawberries and cream whether you like it or not. I was disappointed by it. Um, <laughs> I'm so I, glad you it. say that. No, <laughs> I because very disappo- I was extremely disappointed by it. That yeah. said, there's no way I wasn't having it. Um, so <laughs> so they know, do, do blueberries do. and cream at Kalamazoo. And I cannot stress enough how overrated I think the blueberry is as an individual fruit. In a smoothie, it's a different huh. ball game. But it's sour as a fruit. And I don't want well, then sour you're, then you're in my not ice cream. you're having right blueberry. You're having the wrong blueberry. <laughs> like – Sweet blueberries are amazing. Right. You get them when they're right, and uh, then you'll love the blueberry. Fair, but uh, again, this one I'm gonna you're gonna take the L on. I I have many fruit like the raspberry. I'm all in on the blackberry. No, sign the blueberry me up. is one of the best fruits out there. It's really good for you on many levels, and I agree with you that a sour blueberry is no bueno. But <laughs> I'm also you. You go to the grocery store, Alex, and okay. you 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 you, tr- you try one. So you yeah, open up the, you the would container. be a f- yeah. You are a you try. Have to. I mean, like that. That's what testing. a chef like picks their product, right? Like you have to <laughs> sure. try something. And so I, whether it's a uh, raspberry, because you can have sour raspberries too, but sweet ones are amazing. Same thing with blackberries. I I don't like sour blackberry. Who does, right? Okay. But, this is if so you get, stupid. If you get the ones that are ripe and sweet, they're delicious. <laughs> so leave all of this in, and this is exactly what our listeners needed after, obviously, the heavy start to this podcast. They've already, they've already tuned out. No. <laughs> are you kidding? They're like, this is precisely what we're looking for. As a gift to our Crack Rackets fans, and I'm telling yeah. you, this will lead your views in Instagram views and if you right. post it on Twitter as well. The next time you go to the grocery store, will you demonstrate the proper taste test of fruit at the grocery store? What proper etiquette is how you decide oh bad blueberry you put the box back like i would die yeah, at no, that you, you, i open it i try one well first you have to see if they're squishy or not because you do not want <laughs> squishy fruit so they have to be firm and then and then you try one and then if it's sweet you buy it and if not no thank you <laughs> okay this is good this is good um i agree though the strawberries and cream is overrated i haven't had it at wimbledon but i it adds a concept like it's well, not a, it's they're like they're not that sweet the strawberries so that's you know x1 and then number two (laughs) the cream i was expecting like sweet you know whipped cream and it's this sour milk (laughs) you know so you get sour strawberries with sour milk and i mean i don't know that that's just not my jam somebody might love it but i I had it's actually just expectations as well. Defunct so tartar sauce. I set myself up to be disappointed. Yeah, sour milk as a broth does not sound particularly appealing, even to you, Steve Ugh. Weissman, culinary expert. I don't. You, yeah. You'd find a way to make it a gazpacho, um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, outside of that, okay. Let's talk some tennis before I let you All go. Right. So I don't want to keep you for too long today. <laughs> we have a running segment on this show. It's a bit I do, and I, I there is some truth to it. You know, 
99.4% of tennis players are eliminated from the greatest of all time discussion by the time they're 19 years old. Certainly of 99.9 by the time they're 20, 21 years old. Right now in the greatest of all time discussion on the men's side, certainly Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, they are all in the conversation. Here's the argument I would make of late. I think the most impressive thing about Carlos Alcaraz is that to this point of his career, he has not been eliminated from the greatest of all time discussion. Like at this point, Medvedev, cross-off. Zirov, cross-off. Tsitsipas, cross-off. I think FAA has to win his first Grand Slam yeah, this season. Yeah, but what if Medvedev wins the next 15 Grand Slams in a row? I don't see – I don't think there's any scenario where that happens. That's but what I'm saying. possible. No, it's I disagree. But, but – Okay. Anything if, is possible. Here's the you difference. Can't cross though. it off until they've retired. No, I'm my- going to disagree with you. I think no. the majority of tennis fans would cross it off. I'm going to speak for the people here. You can speak for the media elite. Typical media elite, Steve Boyce. So you, you're the one that's like writing somebody off who's down three love in the third. And it's like, no, the match isn't over. Like, it's anything is possible. So right now, Neil Medvedev, he turns what 26 years old this season. If he hasn't turned 26 already, he was born 1996. He has one. Grand Slam title at age 26. You're telling me he's going well, to he has to win. Him out. You could say Zverev. You could say Tsitsipas. What if they win the next 20 Grand Slams? Like They're it, not just, going to. Is, I, that's what I'm saying. Is the that. Of, I, <laughs> I do know that. I'll, lock no, it in. Give, I'll you, give you whatever odds. What odds? You name them. DraftKings. I'm come partner saying, with like, this. You, like It's not until it's said and done. Like People try to do the GOAT conversation with Roger, Rafa, and Novak, and it's great. It's a great conversation. I love it. But it's not. You can't say anything until it's done uh and then somebody by the way will come along and and be better than that i mean when pete was done you know it was like all right nobody's gonna beat this he's the goat and then somebody else came along so uh yeah i mean like you can't rule people out until they're done until they've retired and like that that's I don't know. Okay. I, I, I'm going to disprove your concept with one Can I disprove your concept with one name? Is Marin Cilic still in the race for the greatest of all time? No. Yeah, his career is not done. The, he, he's at the end of his career. And I am saying Medvedev, Zverev, and Tsitsipas he's are far and out long. He's at the peak of his career. No one has won 19 or more Grand Slams in a seven-year, eight-year, nine-year window, whatever you want to say these never, guys have. Never, though. That's the thing. Like Nobody ever thought Djokovic would do what he did over a period of time. Federer would do what he did See, over a period of time. See, I don't know. I think Nadal would do it. Roland Garrett. Somebody was like, yeah. One dude's going to win that tournament 13 times. No, no, that's crazy talk back at, back before Rafa existed, right? Fair, but they are now the standard set. And again, if you're measuring the current group of players, don't undermine the conversation, Steve. No, I, mean, <laughs> got, I mean, it's interesting, but like I'm just saying, you can't rule anything out until it has been accomplished. Like I'm a very logical human, and that that's just the way it is. Like, I disagree. I, I, deal, I don't I think facts, I not, don't not, think it's logical to assume that Zverev, Tsitsipas, who have yet to win a Grand Slam to this point of their career, and Tsitsipas is a little bit younger than the other two guys, but they're also within two years of each other. There's just no historical precedent in the men's game for winning the number of Grand Slams they would each need to win at the rate they need to win it in the time period they need to win it in tennis exactly. history. 
And there's never been a historical precedent for what Rafa did, for what Novak did. And well, what I did agree. Until they did it. But I am saying they, like Marin Cilic, are too far along in their career to set that <laughs> like new Marin sort of Kirill, uh, career precedent. No, first of all, the and first Marin take— Cilic is a great champion, by the way. The first take I was ever correct on in tennis and how I knew I had a future. 2006, Marin Cilic is competing at the Australian Open. I look at my older brother, Eric, and I say, this guy should not be able to move as well as he is for six foot six. I was like, I am telling you, Chilich is going to be number one in the world. He will win a slam. Now, was he number one in the world? No. But he did win a slam. So, I agree. There will be no Marin Chilich slander on this podcast. I don't think it's slanderous to say he's not the greatest of all time. Like I said, 99.9% right, so of players. Basically, you're trying to get to a conversation on Carlos Alcaraz. So, we can talk Carlos. That's totally fine. But, like, to, <laughs> no, let's to keep say doing that, this. Like, like this. that he's in the co- – first of all, to say that Carlos Alcaraz is in the conversation for no. greatest of all time, ludicrous. And to say that other people that are in the peak of their career are suddenly out of any conversation – ludicrous the only people that are in the conversation are the big are the big three and that's it like that's that's how it is see this is where no i disagree with you it's no, not that carlos alcaraz is in the conversation novak are in the conversation that's no period but it's not that he is in the conversation it's that he hasn't been eliminated from the conversation and it's that the feasibility because he's a teenager like obviously i agree and, okay but okay is jerry shung like i don't think there are any other teenagers out there who you would say are in the conversation right now. Yeah, I don't think 21 11 in the world. No, okay. they're not. <laughs> With Gus, he's put himself in like the trajectory. I think that's why it's ridiculous but to I, say because I, you look at him Felix, and you're like Felix is still in the con- is Felix out of your conversation? He no, this is his last year of eligibility. Okay. <laughs> So he becomes ineligible. No, if he wins a Grand Slam this season, he remains eligible because Roger won his first slam at 21, which is the oldest of the he, Djokovic, Nadal trio. Therefore, Uh he would still be eligible. Sinner. Still on his final stages okay. of eligibility Sebi, uh, as Sebi well. Corda, is it, he's he's good for you. You know, Corda's no? only. I think Corda's older than FAA, and so I suppose this by that measurement would also be his last year of eligibility. I'm pretty sure it goes. Corda is two months older than FAA, who's two months older than Brooksby, and they're all born. I want to say 2000, and so, so this Jensen is, Brooksby is still still in the conversation. Strongly. Still, no, it's no, first of all, it's not that any of them are in the conversation. It's that they haven't been eliminated, which just speaks to the prospects in the future that they have and speaks to the fact that it feels like for the first time in a long time, we can play the imagination game. We can begin to have fun with this. If you had a seven year old brother, he wouldn't be eliminated from the conversation. Well,. I disagree so because I have seen Gruskin Athletics. All the land are not eliminated from the conversation. No, because if you're not USTA number one by this point, you're probably eliminated from the conversation. Like I knew at age 14, I was, you know, a middling 17th in SEMTA, let alone the Midwest. Like I'm not the greatest of all time. I'm out. Now, Jerry Shang, the 17-year-old who has ripped off like five ITF titles, was world number one junior. We see him sniffing around some ATP level events to have that degree of success by age 17. You yeah, are not. Yannick, Yannick Sinner was never ranked high as a junior. Matteo Berrettini, even less than that. I, I mean, but, like... but I'm saying that they went the pro route, which also kept them in the conversation. Like they weren't eliminated either. Those are good 
parallels for them. Understand that, like by your standards, you could just be a young human, and you're no, I disagree because like Yuri Lahech, (laughs) Yuri Lahechka, the young Czech Republic uh, Republican player who is playing Rublev tomorrow in uh, Barcelona, a match you can all watch on Tennis Channel and see hopefully Steve's (laughs) smiling face uh, at some point after the match, maybe interviewing the player, but he won't text you before that interview happens. I can promise you that. Like became a thing for you. It's just because it's Emma Navarro. I was like, I've got seven questions in the queue. That's what it was. I was like, can what I do you sneak a question? What do you want to ask Emma? You know what? I'll text her myself. Um, but no, just kidding. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, I – okay, back on topic here. The point being, I feel as though – and the names you mentioned, Felix, Corda, Brooksby – Alcaraz, Sinner, there's just a plethora of them now. And yeah, we got excited for Zverev because I think he was having that sort of success when he was young enough that you could begin to dream a little bit. But after everyone was burned by the Dimitrovs of the world, with all due respect, and it's really he's the prime example more so than anyone else. It felt like he shouldered the burden of people looking for a big three replacement more than any player of his generation. You know, after getting burned by that generation, Donald Young perhaps would be the symbol if you're an American tennis fan, that there was some reservation, that you didn't want to say, oh, let's dream, that it was let's enjoy the big three and not put these sorts of pressures and not sort of think about these things with the young guys. I think the casual tennis fan, if you walk into your tennis club and you're hearing these conversations, and in your case, you're bringing your acai bowl into the Ojai and talking with, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, with Wolfgang, and by the way, the only gang that'll have you is the Wolfgang, um, you know, you're do- having those conversations. I think they're talking about Alcaraz in this sort of way, that this kid has that sort of future. I think they're talking about him being number one in the world and winning majors. Yeah. But a lot That's of it. Like a lot, like I do think he's the face now. All of a sudden, he's become face of that what? face of the next chapter in the ATP story. It's like he has usurped Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, who I'm not saying aren't going to have success, but all of a sudden now, as we slowly see the page turning on the big three, and obviously Rafa Novak very much still a part of the conversation, but all of a sudden there is a new face in the center of the page, and it seems to be Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, no, I mean, Alcaraz is amazing. He's doing things that people haven't done before. So he, for youngest ever to win Miami, right? Mm-hmm. Like the youngest ever to get to 50 wins. None. I just read this on ATPTour.com that of the 27 world number ones in history, none of them got, got to 50 wins faster than Carlos Alcaraz. I think that's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. And he does everything well. I mean, Jim Courier says that multiple times when he's calling an Alcaraz match. Please, like if you find a hole in his game, text us, tweet us, do something. Like, there's no real hole in his game. He does everything well. He hits with extreme power. Then he's got this beautiful touch. Hits these drop shots. He can play on all surfaces. He's amazing. That said, is he going to continue on and do all these things? I I don't know. Maybe. I hope so. I mean, I was talking to Chris Eubanks last night, and the one thing that stood out about Alcaraz to him and and to others was that so – we were talking about kind of doing something that you love and, and whether it was my job, his job, you know, something like that. If you do something that you love, you would do it for free and you would still love it because that's what you're passionate about. And he said that that's kind of Carlos Alcaraz. He would play. He loves tennis. He loves being out there and competing and he, he would do it even if he wasn't, you know, winning millions of dollars. So I think that in its own right separates himself from a lot of 
individuals that are doing it for something else. And he's just doing it because he loves it. And that's one reason why he is so successful. And I think people that do uh, whatever their profession is because they're passionate about it and love it generally become more successful because of that pure nature that, you know, it, it, it's pure and it and it's um, unique to, to them. And so, you know, I, I think the sky's the limit for him. I'm not going to say <laughs> what he is or is not going to do, but, you know, he certainly has not four more opportunities to win a major as a teenager. And I think that's pretty darn cool. Does that mean you come on this podcast because you love me? No. <laughs> I, 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 I enjoy our conversations and refuting all of your preposterous claims and letting the crack rackets audience like come back to reality about certain things. Good. I like that. We need a dose of reality on this show every so often. Well, my last question for you, because obviously it was not realistic to keep you for only 30 minutes, but I want to try and stay as close to that as possible. You were at USC-UCLA last weekend, and that match ultimately won 4-3 by the USC Trojans. Of course, I'm referring to the Division I women's college tennis match, which we discussed at length on our Great Shot podcast episode of The Deciding Point yesterday. The Trojans ultimately 4-3 winners. Now, it was not the most straightforward fashion. There were leads blown. There were dramas. On my top five destinations, I do have Athens, Georgia still in my top three because it is the biggest blemish on my resume that, you know, I have yet to attend any sort of event at the University of Georgia on the collegiate level. And that atmosphere, when it's electric, I just think a college tennis crowd can engage in ways a pro college, uh, pro crowd never can. Talk to me about the environment. Talk to me about the drama. Yeah, no, I mean, I got there. So I, I hosted TC Live and, um, I missed the doubles because um, because I was on air and I heard that was insane um, that Aaron and Salmo were down I think seven match points mm-hmm. uh, in a, in a tiebreak <laughs> and then came back at one for the the clinching doubles match so that's that's nuts and I, I think there was another court that was up multiple match points and then lost so um, you know the doubles point as you know in college tennis is just it's so important especially when two really good programs are going at each other, it's, it's going to be the difference. And so, um, you know, to the credit of, of the Trojan coaches, they changed up the doubles lineup. And ever since that they, they have, they've won doubles points. And getting the doubles point against UCLA proved to be the, the winner, in my opinion. So um, if UCLA had won that, that point, they win. USC won it, so now they win the match. Um, And because of winning that doubles point, it provides so much momentum heading into singles. Uh, Once again, I didn't really get there until the end of a lot of first sets, but I was watching on my phone, and it was like four love, five love, love, three love. Every court had USC up breaks and and crushing in the first sets. Why? In my opinion, UCLA was still bummed out about dropping seven match points in the doubles, heading into singles and so that momentum carried over for usc um you know they were able to to get up three zero pretty quickly and then you know lost a bunch of leads gets to three all it's senior day salma ewing's a senior and she stepped the heck up yeah do you like that alicia bolton forehand i mean she hits it so well yeah she hits it really well i mean kimmy hans hits great shot i mean like you know, she barely misses a ball. So, um, you know, but Salma is such an athletic player. Yeah. and Her versus Abby like, must have been, again, such good tennis. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Salma can beat anybody. Like, yeah. it's up to her. If she wants to, she can beat anybody. She's, she, can, she could be number one. Um, just, you know, her, her serve, if, if she's intentional with it, is amazing. And uh, moves well, hits both sides well, can finish, uh, can, you know, can do it all. And was able to really, you know, after dropping that second set, um, you know, just stay with it and, and keep that, that mentality and, and grind. Cause that, you know, that's what it takes in that, that kind of match. Um, and you know, have that, you know, senior day, like be a legend. Like it's your senior day. It's at your school, be a legend. And that's what she did. Last stat for you, the USC season. Here's the, the pace of it. Five match win streak to start the year. They then lose seven of eight matches. They then win four in a row. They then lose three in a row. They've now won, I believe, seven in a row here to enter postseason play. With that in mind, is this team making the Sweet 16? Yeah, I mean, it's up to them. Uh, you know, it, it, it depends how they they approach each match mentally. I mean, tennis-wise, absolutely. Um, there's no reason why not. Once uh, Naomi Chung came back, it was a different team. So, I mean, I said that in the beginning of the year. You know, without her, they're, they're a completely different team. With her, it changes everything. And so, um, you know, they, they've got a big opportunity now with, with what the coaches did with the doubles was fantastic. And now I believe they have the potential to win uh, doubles points against, you know, all these schools. And then, you know, I'll take Salma at one against anybody, Aaron at two against anybody. Um, Snow has been the freshman of the year, in my opinion. Um, you know, she's... She's going to be a number one in the future and just goes out and does her job and wins. And, uh, you know, Grace can beat anybody on any given day. Naomi at, at five to me is is fantastic. And then, you know, see what happens at six. So um, it's we'll see how they how they, uh, you know, show up mentally on, on any given day. But that's for any team. It's not just for them. Um but, you know, they, they certainly have what it takes to make the Sweet 16. Um, big match against Arizona State, you know, tomorrow. And then, uh, and then hopefully a rematch against Cal, which, which I think is a winnable match for them. January 2023, you're either in Melbourne for the Australian Open or you're back on coach uh, on court as the volunteer assistant for the Trojans. What do you pick? <laughs> no, George Wang does an amazing job. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. in, I'm in Melbourne. George no, is the man. George so. has retired. He's decided I'm out. They say, Steve, we need you. No, I mean, listen, I, and I, I miss my LMU Lions, who, by the way, i got to give a shout-out to them. They're, yeah. they're crushing it. What are they, 19-2 and two or something? I mean, they're top 25 in my ballot. They're top 25 in everyone's ballot. I mean, <laughs> the ITA came out. I think they're 20 two or one or something, you know, they're in the top 25 mm -hmm. and, uh, they, you know, they have two losses. One was very early in the season, the USC and one was Pepperdine and Pepperdine's legit. So like, it's not a bad loss. Um, you know, that, you know, Veronica has been crushing it at one. I mean, every, every line they're ever like, they're, they're great. And I'm really proud of them. Um, you know, having worked with them for the past couple of years, they're just, they're a great group of girls. And, uh, and they've, they've proven this year what we, thought they could do last year and last year obviously because of covid they didn't have a season and they've really stepped up and we'll see what happens in the wccs and the ncaa's but uh you know they, they they've got everything that it takes but I, i'm in melbourne george wang is is crushing it and uh i don't i don't have i don't have the time honestly <laughs> like a usc volunteer assistant has to be there every single practice and every single match and uh i work two jobs full-time and <laughs> and then uh you know some other, do some other stuff on the side as well so 
um, you know, I love I love coaching at LMU and I love being on court with the girls and and they're awesome. So, um, but at USC, it's just me in the stands. Yeah, that sounds like a cop out. Um, no, I mean, look, all it comes down to is that you get the gear, right? Like in the end, that's all that matters. I get the gear and <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get to go to the Happy Slam. I, that, yeah. nothing, would make, nothing would make me happier than to be <laughs> in Melbourne and, uh, and yeah. covering the Australian Open. Yeah, well no, said. that's number one for sure. Well, with that in mind, I know you're coming up. We're going to get to see you on NFL Network, correct? And obviously, drafts yeah, coming you up. Yeah, Friday. Friday, doing NFL Now. We're we're interviewing four of the uh, draft prospects on the show. So it's jam packed show, uh, one to three p.m. Eastern. NFL Network back on there Saturday as well, um, all leading up to the draft. Uh, we got you covered with that. So, yeah, a lot a lot going on, my man. Are you going to text me before those? I am not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if my mom doesn't get the text, you're yeah. certainly not getting a text. You know, I'm, I'm feverishly prepping for these interviews and getting all my notes in order and, um, you know, Getting, getting ready to go. Fair. And then at, in Charleston, to be honest, it was um, because they would come from different courts. There would be times where I was you know, doing nothing for like an hour and a half. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> everybody comes and they're waiting on each other. And I think it was like ah, it was Coco Vandaway, Belinda Bencic, Isla Tamjanovic, and maybe Emma Navarro. It was like, it was like four in a row that – I, I was like, you won? What, what happened? Yeah. I was just interviewing two other people. So I was not watching your match. Um, I just need and- 30 seconds to send one text, okay? Like, just guys, give me 30. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I I appreciate you watching and tuning in. No, I seriously, whether it's four minutes, nine minutes, depending on who the guest is, depending on the scenario, seeing those post-match interviews are always a highlight. And obviously, you know, I'm just waiting for you to be like Ostapenko, more like Ostastanko in one of your TC Live (gasps) readings. I feel like we're like a month away from that. Like again, no, <laughs> I'm the twelfth week. Of it. No, I in? love. I'm <laughs> saying like if she lost a match, like that's that's like the pivot there as you're reading in. No negativity. Yeah. No man, we we are a positive space out here. It's we are true. we are bringing we are bringing good energy and positive vibes. There is nothing more I enjoy than those first four lines from you. Like I, you are so good at them. It's very very <laughs> enjoyable. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So with that, in, uh, with that in mind, everyone knows where to find him. Steve Weissman, always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you, my friend. Be safe, be healthy, and I'm sure we'll chat more soon. Same to you. Thank you so much for having me as always. Returning okay. champion. <laughs> Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with TC Live Steve Weissman. A huge thank you to Steve as always for tolerating all of my nonsense, taking the time he does to come on this show as frequently as he does. And again, his dedication to this sport, second to none. The guy is an absolute workhorse. You'll see him on TC Live day after day after day. And I'm not trying to compare what Steve and I do, but knowing what the grind is to go daily to be on TV, to have to be turned on that frequently and just give that sort of performance, what he does is incredible. And so the 
the sport is better for having him. This show is better for having his presence as well. So thank you to him as always for taking the time to chat. And you all know you can see him on TC Live just about every day over on Tennis Channel. Of course, as I mentioned at the top, the biggest story right now in tennis, Wimbledon electing to ban both Russian and Belarusian players from the 2022 event. We'll talk about the details behind that decision, the implications of it as well on a two mini break Thursday tomorrow. I also want to get back to talking about all of the action happening at the tour levels in Barcelona, in Belgrade, in Istanbul, in Stuttgart. I want to talk uh, about not only Wednesday's matches, Thursday's matches as well. We talk about both of those things, the return of Novak Djokovic with Nate Walrith tomorrow. We're also going to talk about all the other stuff with a different guest to be named uh, later as well. And then again, we're still on the grind. College tennis coming to a conclusion. We're covering all the women's action every Tuesday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, all the men's action on Thursdays. You can find that on our YouTube channel or the next day on the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, for all of our content, tune into our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, on the ones and twos, and who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for our fantastic guest, Steve Weissman, super producer Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>